Welcome to Sunday Sermons from the Williamsburg Community Chapel, brought to you by the Chapel Podcast Network. Let's open our Bibles to Malachi chapter 1, verses 6 through 14, and I'll read the final two verses for us now as we prepare to hear from Rich Sylvester as he helps us learn how to recover from selfishness. But you say, what a weariness this is, and you snort at it, says the Lord of hosts. You bring what has been taken by violence, or is lame, or sick, and this you bring as your offering? Shall I accept that from your hand, says the Lord? Cursed be the cheat who has a male in his flock and vows it, and yet sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished. For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name will be feared among the nations. Well, even as uh, we've been working through some scheduling changes in my, in my high school son's schedule, I was thinking about my own high school class schedule, and I remember uh, early on in my high school career, there was a scheduling problem, and I ended up in theater class. Now, I, I didn't really want to be in theater class, I'll be honest. I, I wasn't a theater-type guy, I thought, but the teacher's name was uh, Joy Varley. And Joy Varley was an incredible teacher. And she was passionate about theater. She was passionate about musicals. And before long, I found myself drawn to the stage. If it wasn't soccer season or lacrosse season, I was trying out for plays and musicals. I even got a part in Into the Woods. Did you know that Cinderella's stepfather was a part in Into the Woods? It had five lines. One word lines, but I said them all with gusto. Later in my thespian career, I even got to perform in Fiddler on the Roof. I was the rabbi in Fiddler on the Roof. And our our little school just north of New York City, we even got to perform some of our numbers in Carnegie Hall in New York City. But I loved my theater class. And one of the things that our teacher, Joy Varley, often did is she she taught us that words are more than just words, that words have feeling, words have temperature, words have tone, and depending on how you say a word, it may be taken much differently depending on your tone or the temperature with which you give it. This week, as a dad, I was thinking about this reality. Four simple words. What are you doing Now, those words I actually say a lot in my home, maybe too much. But those words, what are you doing, if said differently, can mean very different things. If I walk into Tucker's bedroom and he is creating some great giant Lego masterpiece, I may say with a tone of invitation and intrigue, I may say, what are you doing? I want to be a part of that. What are you doing? But sometimes those four words, if said differently, can create a very different response in my children. Yes, I can say, what are you doing? That sounds like angry dad. That says, I better tell my dad what I'm doing real quick because I think I just got in trouble. The same four words, what are you doing, said different ways, means something very different. They invite a very different response. Throughout the book of Malachi, 
God is going to confront the people of Israel. He's going to confront the priests. He's going to confront the people. And he's going to let them know something they're doing. And they're going to respond with a question. We see it in verse 6. He says, O priest, you despise my name. And the people respond, How have we despised your name? God says, You've polluted the food upon my altar. And the people respond, How have we polluted you? But if we look at the context of Malachi, I think they have a more defensive tone in their voice. God says, you have despised my name. I think the people sound more like this. How have we despised your name? God says, you've polluted my altar. I'm pretty sure the people say, how have we polluted your altar? It's the same thing we do when our wife or our husband or our children come to us and say, hey, You really hurt my feelings. How did I hurt your feelings? Immediately, we're defensive. We're deflective. It doesn't invite another conversation. It shuts down our accuser. And I am convinced that in Malachi, the people of God are responding to God with a defensive tone, trying to shut him down. And I know this week, as I looked at a sermon on selfishness, where I believe God is telling us, you have been selfish, I keep wanting to say to God, how have I been selfish? God, please don't tell me. But I think God wants us to offer a different posture this morning, a different tone and temperature to that question. That as we see, when God says, you have been selfish, maybe we need to respond, God, how have I been selfish? Teach me, show me, help me understand. That's the posture that I had to fight to take all week as I read through Malachi. And I hope that God can give us that posture now. Let's pray together. Gracious God, I want to be defensive. I don't always want to be told what I'm doing wrong Heavenly Father, help us to be teachable. Help us to come before you with a posture this morning that says, show us, teach us, help us. Lord, your word says this morning, we have been selfish. Help us to say in response, God, how have we been selfish? In your name we pray, amen. Well, right away in verse 6, God says to his people, a son honors his father and a servant his master. And if then I am father, where is my honor? And if I am master, where is my fear? As I chewed on this this week, I believe what God is saying, hey, you're not giving me the honor that is due. You're not following me the way that I have asked you to follow me. In essence, God is saying, hey, folks, you are being Selfish, God is saying, you have been selfish. And I believe he begins by saying, you have been selfish with your complaining. You have been selfish in your complaining. Verse 2 comes just before the passage that was on your sheet of paper. Uh, Preaching pastor's job is to make sure the right verses get printed. I I forgot to have a few verses before this printed. But verse 2 in Malachi, God says to the people of Israel, says, I have loved you. 
And the people of Israel respond and say, how have you loved us? It's a complaint. It's complaining. You see, this uh, in history, we're, we're coming 70 years after uh, the people have returned to the promised land. The Babylonian exile ended 70 years prior to this. The Persian king took over, and shortly after he took over, he said, you can all return to Judah. You can all return to the promised land, and so the people did. And for 70 years, the people have been returning to Israel. They rebuilt the temple. They rebuilt the walls of Jerusalem. They're worshiping together again, but it's not what everybody expected. The temple isn't nearly as grand as they thought it would be. Although the walls of Jerusalem are rebuilt, people are still living in tents. The Persian governor is taking taxes, stifling an economic recovery. The land is seeing a drought and a famine. People are hungry. And they had waited for this moment in history where God would fulfill his promise and bring the people back, and they have, but it's not what everyone expected It's not nearly as joyous and grand and wonderful. And the people complain and say to God, how have you loved us? As I prepared this week, I had to ask myself, how do I complain? What do I spend my time complaining about? Let me ask you, what what do you complain about Right now, I complain a lot about a schedule that seems to change every 15 minutes. Practice is on. Practice is off. Game is scheduled. Game is not scheduled. At one point, the Lafayette football team was on a bus, and then the other team got COVID, and they had to turn around. It's like everything is changing every minute. And I find myself complaining. Why can't we just have consistency But that complaining is selfishness. It's interesting that Malachi uses this phrase for God over and over. He calls him the Lord of hosts, the Lord of armies. This is used throughout scripture, but 50% of the usages of this title of God, Lord of hosts, are found right here in Malachi. 50% of those usages right here on these two or three pages in your Bible. The Lord of hosts and Malachi, he wants to remind the people, hey, you serve the God of hosts. You serve the God of armies. And even though you don't have an army right now, and even though a foreign army occupies your land, don't forget, God is bigger than your circumstances. God's bigger than your economic reality. God is bigger than the political climate. God is bigger than your enemies. And as our selfishness comes out in complaining, Malachi says, God has loved you. And God has a plan for you. For he is the Lord of hosts. Yes, we have been selfish in our complaining. But Malachi continues, and he says, you have been selfish in your disregard for God's word. Look at verses 6 and 7 on the pages that were printed for you. 
God says to the priest, you're, you're, you're despising my name. You're polluting my altar. And the people say, how are we doing this? And God says, you are sacrificing animals that are sick and lame and blind and diseased. And if anybody should know the law, it's the priests. In Deuteronomy chapter 15, in Leviticus chapter 22, God is clear that the animal that you sacrifice must be without blemish. The firstborn, the best among your flock, something that is not diseased, not lame, not sick, but the perfect offering, this is what you give. And yet the people are giving their diseased animals as an offering. I wondered why. Why do we do that? Why do we disregard God's word? Well, it's a lot easier, isn't it? It's a lot more practical, isn't it? In a time when the Israelites are facing economic hardship, when there's a, a governor that's taxing them greatly, and God says, give me the best of your flock, they say, well, that's not very practical, God. Why don't I give you the one that's going to die anyway? I'll give you that one. Because I'd really like to keep the best one. I'd really like to have that for Christmas dinner or sell that at the market to feed my family. God, I, I don't, I'm just going to give you the second best, maybe even the worst. And if I'm honest in my own selfishness this week, I have to admit that when I come up against something in God's word that seems hard or difficult, that seems impractical or even unpopular, sometimes I, I just don't want to do it. I, I can disregard God's word because it's not easy. One of the verses that I've been working on in my own life, I, I actually had to write it down so I'd carry it around. Titus chapter 3, verse 2. It says, Speak evil of no one. Avoid quarreling. Be gentle. Show perfect courtesy to all people. That's not always a very convenient verse for me. It's not always an easy verse for me. Speak evil of no one. Avoid quarreling. Be gentle. Show perfect courtesy to all people. That's one of the verses in Scripture I'm working on. What's something in Scripture that you ignore? What's something in Scripture that you pass over because it's just too hard or just not practical? Yes, Malachi says you've been selfish in your complaining. You've been selfish in your disregard for God's word and then he says, you've been selfish in your half-hearted worship. Verse 14, he says, Cursed be the cheat who has a male in his flock and vows it, and yet sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished. This sounds very similar to the complaint that God just made against the priests, but here he's talking about the heart of the people. He's not solely talking about the offering, but he's talking about our hearts behind the offering. That we're giving God our second best. That we're not giving God our first in worship, but we're giving him our leftovers. We have a heart that says, God, I know I'm going to say I'm going to give my life fully to you. 
But here, I'll just give part of it instead. We say we, we worship with everything in us, but we don't. I thought this week about how I live in half-hearted worship sometimes. Susie and I were, were fixing the family calendar. It's a giant puzzle, right? We have swim practice five times a week for one kid and swim practice at a different time five times a week for another kid. And I've got football practice and football games and I like to coach rec soccer and I'm trying to puzzle this all together. And as a family, we've always committed we will be at church on Sunday morning. And we have always told our children, you will be at youth group Thursday night. But as we looked at our family calendar, we said, hey, where are we leaving space to worship God more fully? Where are we leaving space in our life to invite the widow across the street over for dinner? Where are we leaving space in our life to serve within our community or here at the chapel? That so often in our worship, we, we say, God, I'm going to give you everything. But we give him about 90 minutes a week. Where's the space in our life to worship God fully with our lives, our time, our energy, our resources? We show up to worship God. I'm going to give you everything. And then we say, are we really singing another kid's song? And I say, it's the kid's song that I wake up singing every morning. If it wasn't for those kids' songs, I think I would have drowned this year. Amen. We come half-hearted in worship, and Malachi says, you're being selfish. He says, you've been selfish. You've been selfish in your complaining. You've been selfish in your disregard for God's word. You've been selfish in your half-hearted worship of me. And so we have to ask, well, what do I do? How do I change myself? How do I make myself less selfish? The answer is a disappointing one. You can't. I, I can't. I can try as hard as I want, but I keep living selfishly. But the good news of Malachi and the good news of the gospel and the good news of God's word is that Jesus can. That we have a selfless God who rescues us in the midst of our selfishness. That we have a selfless God that rescues us in the midst of our selfishness. After the book of Malachi, the people will experience 400 years of silence 400 years of wondering if God even cares about them. And then John the Baptist will show up on the scene. The new Elijah dressed in his camel hair. And he'll look upon Jesus and he'll say, here he is. The Lamb of God. The perfect, spotless Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. See, God couldn't wait for us to figure out how to stop being selfish. So he came and selflessly walked among us. And Jesus Christ, without complaining, he went to the cross. And Jesus Christ, completely surrendering to the will of the Father, went to the cross. And Jesus Christ gave himself fully, not half-heartedly, on the cross and became the spotless, perfect 
blemish-free offering that none of us in our selfishness could give. So he became it himself. That our selfless God rescued us in the midst of our selfishness. So how does that change me? My father-in-law jokingly says that whenever I preach, I like to use the word surrender. Well, John, if you're out there, I don't know if my father-in-law's here at the next service, but here it comes. Because how does this truth of Jesus Christ, the spotless Lamb of God, how does that change me? We surrender to him. And it's not that just one day we just say, I surrender, but it's every moment by moment. That we, when we get out of the car every morning before work or school, we say, God, if left to my own ways, I will be selfish, but move in me. May the power of your spirit work and move in me and cause me to be more like you. That when our wife confronts us with something we've done wrong in our lives, we stop and we say, God, I surrender Help me to be selfless and humble and teachable in this moment. God, if left to my own devices, I'm going to be a jerk right now. So help me be kind and teachable and right. When we have a meeting with a coworker or a boss or an employee, we stop before we have that meeting and we say, God, I surrender. Move in me, work in me. May the spirit that raised Jesus from the dead raise new life in me. Let me have this conversation in a way that honors you. That God rescues us in our selfishness and through the power of his spirit moves us in to right selfless living. If we're willing to surrender moment by moment, and hour by hour to his power in our lives. This morning, God says to us, Rich, all of us, you have been selfish. You've been selfish in your complaining. You've been selfish in your disregard for my word. You've been selfish in your half-hearted worship. But don't dismay, for our selfless God has rescued us in the midst of our selfishness. Would we surrender to him? Let's pray together. Gracious God, it's not easy to hear that we are selfish. But if we're teachable, we understand that we are. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would work in us, that you would cause us to be teachable and humble, that you would give us the courage to surrender to you moment by moment to know that you are the Lord of hosts, to let your word live and dwell in us. And God, by your power and God, by your spirit, may you allow us to offer our lives fully to you, even as you have offered your life fully for ours. Gracious God, thank you for rescuing us in our selfishness. May we surrender to you. Thank you for joining us today. Here at the Williamsburg Community Chapel, we are all about making disciples of Jesus Christ. So wherever you are on your spiritual journey, we are ready to help get you connected to Christ and His community. Have a blessed day.